0: i realized oh i would do anything to get out of to get out of sadness all kinds of like sort of you know whether it be like you know turning to rage or turning to you know paranoia or turning to you know anything else any kind of distraction um that revealed to me a kind of fundamental t- terror the terror of sadness which felt to me like oh if you can't touch sadness you're you're gonna miss something
1: (laughs) i'm jordan kissner author of the essay collection thin places and this is thresholds a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work a moment that they stepped across like a threshold into something new and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward To keep everyone safe, these interviews were recorded remotely, usually on a cell phone in somebody's home. And so you might hear some sounds and signs of life, like a car backfiring, a dog walking through the room, usually my dog walking through the room. Thank you for your patience with that. When Roske turned 42, he started a new project. Every day, he wrote down something that delighted him. He wrote about mushrooms and gardening and interactions with people on the street and nicknames. Um, And at the end of that year, he compiled those delights, those essays into a book called The Book of Delights. Um, Roske is a poet as well. He's the author of Against Witch, Bringing the Shovel Down, Beholding, and Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude. And he's also a gardener and a, a founding board member of the Bloomington Community Orchard, which describes itself as a nonprofit, free fruit for all food justice and joy project. It didn't take me long to learn Gay writes in the Book of Delights, that the discipline or practice of writing these essays occasioned a kind of delight radar. Or maybe it was more like the development of a delight muscle, something that implies that the more you study delight, the more delight there is to study. This is definitely the overarching practice of the book, but actually when we got on the phone to talk Um, Ross wanted to talk about sadness and learning to look sadness in the face as a necessary prerequisite to understanding or even experiencing delight. And uh, so that's that's where we started. I hope you enjoy. Great children's books open up new worlds for discovery. With Literati Kids, your child can explore uncharted places every month with spellbinding stories handpicked by experts. Literati Kids is a try-before-you-buy subscription book club. Each month, they deliver five vibrantly illustrated children's books, bringing the magic of reading right to your home. Each book bundle is thoughtfully tailored by education experts with stories meant to spark new interests and nurture a healthy curiosity. Head to literati.com slash thresholds for 25% off your first two orders. Select your child's book club and start them on a literary journey like no other. Literati.com slash thresholds is the only place to find 25% off your first two orders of this one-of-a-kind book subscription, the most joyful way to foster a lifelong love of learning. That's literati.com slash thresholds.
0: Really what I was thinking of that um, about your question is that I had this moment, um, well, not a moment, a period where I was taking this, um, what do you call it? Like, um, at the stress reduction clinic clinic at, um, Thomas Jefferson, I think it was Thomas Jefferson hospital. And pro- this probably would have been a, like 2006 or so. I was, it was like a meditation class, you know, kind of a mindfulness class or something like that. And I was, um, my father had died probably about 2 years ago. I was in, you know, some kind of um in a part of I I would say like a long and variously um acute kind of emotional etc tumult and I was uh so I was taking this class <laughs> trying to trying to watch my mind and um so the, in the class, they would have us do like, you know, like a breathing meditation or a, a sound listening meditation or something, and then a body scan. And so the body scan being something like where you meditate from, you know, the top of your head, you know, your forehead, your crown of your head, your forehead, your cheeks, your et cetera, all the way down to your toes. And you just sort of relax them, bring attention to them, sort of relax them. And then, and so the way that the class would go was that we would, you know, be given this kind of meditation technique, do it 20 minutes a day, I guess. And then come back, then we do it as a class. And then we talk about it. And then we go on and do some stuff and then learn another technique. And when we came back from that body scan class or that body scan week, and we did it, the teacher was like, hey, let's do it from the, you know, toes to head instead this time. I know you all did it. We did it for the week, head to toe, let's do it toes to head. And so we did it. And for the most part, it was like, You know, it's just fine to me. And the teacher asked, how'd that feel? And mostly people were like, felt good. And, but there was this one person who said, I didn't like it. And the teacher was like, oh, well, why didn't you like it? So, you know, at first she was just like, I don't know. I just didn't like it. And then, uh, you know, the teacher was like a really good teacher and um, was like, well, can we get a little bit beneath that, you know? (laughs) this kind of (laughs) question. Care to elaborate? Care to elaborate, yeah. And like, you know, this is kind of new to me. This kind of like, um, um, how do you say it? Like actual talking? (laughs) It was like any kind of therapeutic or et cetera. I was, it was sort of new to me at this point. So I'm probably about 30 years old, a little bit, a little over 30. So it was, you know, so I probably was feeling things like, You know, both interest and impatience, all those things, and like, let's keep it rolling, you know. And, (laughs) and, um, I, um, so I'm watching, and she said, you know, and so the woman says, eventually, yeah, it felt like sad. I felt sad. And the teacher was like, okay, this is very interesting. Like, can we, can we sit with this for a little bit? You know? Um, I mean, she's a meditation teacher. So she's like, let's, we need to sit with things. And so the woman says, okay, yeah, let's do it. And she's asking her questions. Like, what do you feel? And then the woman starts to cry, you know, and she's, um, having feelings. And so the teacher is like a good teacher and like says, you know, can I give you tissues? You know, can I rub your back? And, or, you know, like, can I be of, you know, can I help you with this? And is it okay if we kind of keep talking about this? And everything was sort of like really lovely and gentle. And at some point, she's just sort of talking about being sad. And at some point I'm like watching this go on and I'm feeling, I'm having very strong feelings. And I realize at some point that I'm not watching this conversation between two people, one of whom is like, you know, can you tell us about your feelings? The other of whom is feeling sad. I'm not looking at them. I'm looking like just beyond them at the wall behind them. And, Mm. and I realized, and I can't remember if I realized it like in the spot, but the feeling in my body and my inability to actually witness what was a pretty, it, it was a pretty like regular sadness, you know? Um, the feeling in my body was the precise feeling. I think this is right. Um, if not precise, pretty fucking close feeling to what I would have every time I would go to visit my mother who was, you know, devastated and heartbroken and sad because her partner of 35 or something years had just died, my father. And I would like approach going to spend time with my mom because I was like, you know, my brother lives, you know, two hours away or something. And I was living in Philly, which is like, you know, 15 minutes from where my mother was. And, and because I love my mother, I was like, always going to hang out. And every time I would get there, My body would have this same feeling, which, you know, even as I'm describing it, I'm sort of like I'm looking at my hands and my hands are making the shape of something that would indicate to me like the breaking of my chest open. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was like, whoa, that's something. (laughs) (laughs) Ow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a that feels like that was a
1: threshold. Well, what happened just after you noticed that you couldn't even quite there to look at these two people who were having this interaction of sadness.
0: I um in that moment, I think in that moment and sort of probably the unfolding of like really putting the two experience in that moment, the two experiences of like witnessing my mother's sadness and witnessing this person's, this other person's sadness, it made it so clear to me that um, that my own inability to even attend to anyone's sadness probably I don't think at the moment I was thinking about my own sadness, um though that's truly you know probably maybe that's the thing, but it's like one of the things um I was like my inability to attend to sadness is obscuring probably my uh, ability to live period, you know. Mm. So, so much that I couldn't even, and I would do, I realized, oh, I would do anything to get out of, to get out of sadness, all kinds of like, sort of, um, you know, whether it be like, you know, turning to rage or turning to, you know, paranoia or turning to, you know, anything else, any kind of distraction, Mm -hmm. Um, my, my, that revealed to me a kind of fundamental, terror, the terror of sadness, which felt to me like, oh, if you can't touch sadness, you're, you're going to miss something. (laughs) Like the thing, like you might miss the thing, you know?
1: The big thing, the capital T thing. thing. Yeah, Yeah. the
0: big thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm curious if this was a, if this felt like a recognition of something that had always been true about you? Like if you were always not wanting to, to look at sadness or to be near sadness, or if that was specific to the kind of the two-year period of tumult that you were trying to like work your way out of?
0: Um, The tumult was, was more like um, something that I feel like sort of was more like long 10 years etc mm. um and i feel like some of um I, you know i feel like um it's such a i mean that's a great question because in a certain kind of way i feel like i was just thinking about this like there's a way that i'm sort of um i'm inclined toward the melancholy in a certain kind of way or i have mm-hmm. been and by which i mean like you know the music the music that I've always loved, even as a kid, is like, you know, I was probably like 11 or 12 years old listening really hard to Mingus Solo Piano, Myself When I'm Real, from my, from my, this, uh, this beautiful song, um, Myself When I'm Real, from my dad's record collection. Or, you know, like when Tracy Chapman came out, like the last song on that Fast Car record, mm-hmm. it's called For You. It's so beautiful, but so melancholy. You know, the Chipper songs were way less. It wasn't the stuff that I was like listening to over and over and over and over again. I might dance to it and I might really like it. I probably did really like it. But so there's a way that a kind of melancholy feels like familiar to me. But in some way that feels different than. Or maybe I'm wondering right now from your question, if that melancholy is in fact different than this other thing, which is like sadness, you know, sadness, which can feel, you know, in addition to like, like the thing, it can feel debilitating, you know? Um, yeah. or, 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 or ter- My feeling was terrifying. You know, my feeling was terrifying.
1: Right. There's like the thing about melancholy as someone who has also always been kind of attracted to the melancholy is yeah. I think the thing that feels to me Like melancholy feel it's a, it's a way of engaging sadness that is, feels beautiful and has some kind of Mm. good hurt to it. But sadness, like big, 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 big sadness and sorrow is like sort of ravaging in a not beautiful can be ravaging in a not beautiful way. It's like yeah. so big it's ugly, it's so big it wants to eat you and that's not right. the same thing. <laughs> it's like exactly, beautiful exactly. beautiful sad music, you know. Yeah. That feels like yeah. something you you can want to run from. Yeah,
0: that's what I was thinking. Before you said beautiful, I was thinking I wonder if if melancholy has some connection to or has a kind of aesthetic dimension that um like even the, if the word in some way, etymologically, if there's some aesthetic dimension, I don't know that at all, but like, um, or as we've thought, thought about it over the years, but like sadness, I don't, I don't think of the aesthetic dimensions of, of sadness, <clears throat> not, not right away anyway, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's, it doesn't usually feel, especially, and maybe now I'm conflating, sadness with sorrow. And those things are not quite the same. And maybe then again, sorrow with grief, which is a whole different thing, but like Mm. those things are not necessarily, um, not necessarily something you move through and, and come out the other side of better or like you can be truly scathed by those things. And so I feel like the impulse to run from them makes a lot of sense. Yeah. To I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just confessing that I share this personality, uh, foil with you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I feel like the, I feel like one of the, in a way, like in terms of a threshold, it feels like that was a kind of moment of growing up, which you know, which I feel like I'm constantly sort of having those moments of growing up. But one of the moments of growing up was like, life is sad. Like Mm -hmm. to be in the presence of your, um, to be in the presence, to be, to be, (laughs) you know, of course you can have a a certain kind of orientations that do not make it sad. But my own particular orientation is like, it's sad that my beloveds are going to die or are going to feel pain. You know, it's sad. Um, And that is not a sadness for me that I can, you know, wipe away. It's not going to go away. It's just a fact of my, my being alive, you know? Um, And so in a way it's like the, the um, sort of being able to attend to that. I think part of the terror is like, yeah, it doesn't go away. Sadness doesn't go away. Like to me, the idea of like getting over something or moving through something, or I, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm not a psychologist or anything. So, you know, or whatever, but I'm like, my interest is in like, yeah, things change. But my, my sense is that you, sorrow is not the kind of thing that you kind of like, Oh, okay. Got over that. Sorrow feels to me like a kind of abiding understanding of one's life. You know, the sorrowful thing, if it becomes less sorrowful, it probably, maybe time makes a thing less sorrowful, maybe, or maybe different perspectives, obviously that can make things less sorrowful, but it feels like sorrow itself. And often the sort of thing that we feel sorrowful about remains a kind of, you know, it's not like, all right, well, I took my vitamins and now I'm not (laughs) sorrowful anymore. You know, it's like, nah, man, I'm fucking sad. And I'm, and I'm, And today I'm so, I'm so happy (laughs) and I'm sad too. Like, that's
1: okay. Yeah. How did you, like, what did you do when you left the class? Like, I'm curious (laughs) what what happened when you were were just after this realization of like, oh my God, I can't even, I can't confront sadness and that's Mm -hmm. not working for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I probably was like, all right, well, I'm going to go have dinner with mom, you know, and it was probably like, oh, God damn that feeling like (laughs) there it is at least like sort of bringing it to consciousness. um, Like I don't, I don't, I don't sort of, I think it probably wasn't like a revelation in terms of like now, oh, now I'm different. I think it was like, oh, sadness, this terrifies me. What am I gonna do? And and it sort of like probably sent me on a on a long a long sort of inquiry about what is sadness in my life and how do I sort of relate to it. I don't know that I like came out of that class and was like, you know, a little bit, I probably came out of the class being like, damn, that was so fucked up. Like we all had to look at that (laughs) sad person and she must've felt horrible. Like that was so vulnerable and exposing. And man, this is so, (laughs) I mean, that's what I was feeling like. I was like, man, this is so fucking cruel. That's actually what I was feeling. like. The woman who was being asked to talk, to to be like, she at no point did she express anything like, this is cruel. But I, across the room was like, man, this is so fucked up. <laughs> 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 oh, it's so funny.
1: Cause to you, maybe, cause it sounds like to you, you would have felt like that was the cruelest oh, thing somebody could oh. ask you to do.
0: Oh God. Yes. Yes. Which then is like, Oh, okay. So it's not, you're not just talking about witnessing other people's sadness. You're talking about engaging with or witnessing your own sadness, you know, being with your own sadness. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right.
1: <laughs> Do you still, I mean, it sounds like you don't still feel that way about that interaction, that like in retrospect, you look at that and and think that perhaps that wasn't a cruel interaction to the woman who was sad.
0: No, I think it was. And when I was saying uh, it reminds <laughs> she was an amazing teacher and everything about it was just perfect. You know, as far <laughs> as I was concerned, like in retrospect, I was like, everything was just so tender and open and you don't have to do this if you don't want to and you know like this will be useful for the class if you want to sh- share about this and the woman being like okay yeah and you know crying a little bit oh my god you know, <laughs> yeah yeah
1: So where do you feel like you're at now? I mean, it's been now many years since that time, since that moment, since that like experience of thinking like, oh, shit, (laughs) I have to, (laughs) I have to like reorient myself to this, this immovable problem of the world, this whole category of emotion. Um, And you just said that it sent you kind of on a long, long, long journey of exploring and thinking and probably writing and reckoning. I mean, I'm I'm holding in my hand, the book of delights, which feels not coincidental. And so I'm curious where you feel like you are right now with that question and maybe how your last two books, um, were a part of that.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think one of the, um, one of the things that I'll say first is that, um, I, I mean, the first thing I'll say is that, you know, at some point I was in, um, therapy and the, my therapist, who's really great, like amazing and really beautiful questions. Um, at point, at some point, probably because of things that I said, said, some, and I, while I was in the middle of writing the, This book um, said something like um along the lines of like, you know, you're um how do you put it? Like something like, oh, you're you're kind of fundamentally just, you have a fundamental distrust of people. Hmm. Something like that. Which, you know, I almost felt how is that to hear? (laughs) Well, I was like, yeah. I mean, more, it was like, that was, that was like, um, that was interesting. I mean, but it wasn't, it wasn't way more. What was interesting to me was that it was in the middle that I was writing this book called the book of delights, <laughs> which was like this sort of, this sort of argument to the contrary, you know, cause so much of that, that book, you know, at that point to sort of realize Oh yeah, this this book is actually a meditation on the ways that we care for each other which i fundamentally believe are structural, are daily, are moment to moment, are actually the ways that we, you know, manage to be alive. Um and and that but that there's a a deep part of me that's like and and the other thing too, like <laughs> You know, like I this this fucking work. This is work. Like I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not just... So that's one thing that feels to me like sort of interesting in terms of of this question. But you know, so the delights and I think catalog of unabashed gratitude. Um, they're both kind of you know like curious about in a certain kind of way. Um, you know, sometimes people will say that that I I. I I understand the impulse, but something about happiness, you know, and or I understand even that, you know, because there are like moments of happiness in these things, you know. But to me, I'm like, when I look at those books, like the delights is the, the, the delights is, you know, I talk about this quite a bit in, in periodically in an essay or the essays that there's always the absence or the opposite of delight is always sort of lurking with those essays, which to me is why those essays are kind of interesting, you know. And catalogue of unabashed gratitude, I mean, the title poem, the last sort of the final gesture of the of the title poem is the speaker having an interaction with a kid from a dream and the kid is saying, the end is coming and it's sooner than you think. And the speaker being like, Yeah, no duh. That's why I'm fuck that's why I'm shouting like this. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so to me, it's like in those poems, like every every ode is an elegy, and every elegy is an ode. You know, every elegy is a love song. Um, so, so in a way, I think probably like I'm I'm sort of engaged in this longer, longer question about this this other emotion that I'm or whatever you call it that I'm very interested in, called joy. Mm-hmm. Which is which is to me fundamentally different than happiness. Um, or I don't know, fundamentally, it's different than happiness, is different than delight and is fully inhabited or made made in relationship or even because of sorrow, you know. Mm-hmm. Like in a certain kind of way, I don't feel like joy, you know, if you don't know what sadness is and you don't you don't know what joy is.
1: Yeah. You You've know. talked in other interviews about that, that joy is always present in conversation with death specifically. And actually there's like a lot of, um, I was noticing as I was rereading the book of delights that it's there, it's a lot, there's a lot of death in this book, like death as a, or, or mortality, not necessarily, you know, a human, a human dying, but the the ephemerality and mortality, even of the natural world of a plant, of a tree, of the tomato plant whose arm breaks off, you know, and that that these delights are usually framed um, by their temporal, by the fact that they're temporary um, and they will go away, which is tinged, I guess, with sorrow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like precarity is kind of throughout. And um, there's even a moment in... (laughs) No one ever really meant. I have one friend who who read this and was like, "Oh, me too." But there's a one moment I can't remember one of the essays where I say, "And because I have a mind of death," <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of this delight, you know, it's like, "All right, you're right." Yeah, it's always there.
1: Were you were you able to inhabit delight and think about joy and do this kind of work before you could? be in the same room with sadness?
0: No. No. And I think it's actually a... um, You know, so, you know, I was writing that catalog book um, over the years, I don't know, of like 20... Let's see, like 20... um, Probably like 2011 to 2014 or 20... the oldest poems in there, maybe like, yeah, maybe, maybe 2009 to 2014 or something. I don't know, something like that. Um, which was definitely after this experience. Um, though it, it is the case that I had a different understanding of like what the work was doing outside of myself after the fact of having written the book and being reading it and having other people sort of give me a sense of like what's happening for them with the book. So I had some kind of mm-hmm. different relationship or some sort of different understanding to what was happening in these poems um after after having written them. <clears throat> Which is to say I didn't go, I don't know that I went into writing them with a consciousness, um, with a conscious consciousness of this. But I definitely I feel like I did now, I now I realize I went into writing them with a different understanding um or or a, or a deeper or more sort of um a beginning of a depth of understanding which i feel like i'm in right now i'm in the beginning of a deeper understanding um than i had you know earlier um in some of the in some of the earlier work yeah and then um and i feel like my work going forward is you know, I'm writing about my relationship to the land right now. And, um, and that's about, you know, America and, you know, slavery and, you know, white supremacy and um, property and family um, and flight and all of these things. And one of the, one of the things that I'm aware of when I'm writing is that um sorrow is one of the, you know, sorrow, sorrow is a thing here, you know, and not, not leaving sorrow behind, but sort of sitting with sorrow or holding, holding sorrow, maybe.
1: Mm. There's a, I guess I wonder about how you think about finding that balance because you mm-hmm. also like of cu- of course i i can imagine how you would have to make a lot of room for sorrow mm-hmm. and other and other negative emotions mm-hmm. um and make room for su- like the experience of suffering in mm-hmm. in writing about those subjects and mm-hmm. at the same time there's a moment there's a there's a little essay lit in in the Book of Delight, where you talk about um, almost the politics of being a Black person writing about delight and wanting mm-hmm. to um, fight back against the white the white supremacist construction of Blackness as, as synonymous with suffering. I don't know if yeah. that's precisely the word that you use. Yeah. Um And I wonder, like, how are you thinking about finding that balance of making space for sorrow and also um, creating and showing joy and delight in, in, I can see a little bit how you did it in in the book of delights, but I'm curious how you're thinking about it with this next project.
0: Um, Well, it's, you know, it's sort of underway, but in a certain kind of way, I feel like, um, I feel like, um, to, to, depict our lives fully (laughs) suggests that we will be, um, depicting sorrow and, um, and delight, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. in a certain kind of way, like to sort of ask or to sort of have the fullest sort of have a full, um, a full, whatever the word is, um, engagement with people. (laughs) It feels like there's going to like in in a way that's interesting to me anyway, but I also in a way that I believe, which is, you know, probably connected back to that sadness thing is that, um, like, I don't, I don't think I just don't think it's honest actually to suggest or to um or to not have both that's sort of that's sort of you know the thing so in terms of like a balance or whatever i don't know i don't know how that will show up i mean i'm also sort of curious about how how this sort of um this story which is sort of both a kind of quote-unquote exterior story a story about you know um, um I mean, it's, it's a story about, you know, my folks, my family, like, you know, other, other people. And it's a story very much about my own relationship to all of these things. So it's a kind of both inside and outside. And if I don't know if those designations are even particularly relevant, but like, um, it's a kind of a full story. But I'm also like, very interested in terms of like, how I think about it, how it will kind of unfold over over the next amount of time or the continued amount of time that I'm working on it. I've started smiling real big because I've been working on it for (laughs) for a while. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I guess I want to ask, particularly since this is part of what you're writing about, I had... I had come into this conversation wanting to ask you about your garden. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, like where the practice of gardening or just being cult- cultivating plant life, um, like where that happened in time in relation mm. to this other development mm. that you're talking about.
0: Yeah, Um uh, It's interesting. Yeah. It happens like almost directly after, I mean, there are some things like I moved to Indiana um, in 2007 for a job and in Indiana, which is, you know, a little bit different than where I had been living, like in Philly or Jersey city. um, I, I was, you know, like you could, I got a house, you know, Mm -hmm. and So I started gardening kind of quickly when I got here. Um, And it's interesting that it's interesting. I hadn't thought about the timing on those things. I mean, one is like, again, it is sort of just the fact of having, I think uh, a little yard. Um, But it is interesting that that relationship to sorrow and that relationship to, you know, sitting with sadness or, or whatever it is that it, that it does sort of coincide with my like it was pretty like quick and deep it, um, sort of falling in love with gardening, you know, and like deep, you know, like and it's still like that. like I'm sort of like, <laughs> you know <laughs> this time of year, I don't know if you garden, but this time of year is like when the when the Wechma come, the uh, catalogs come and You know, and they're so beautiful. And one night I couldn't sleep like last week or something. And I just woke up at two o'clock and I was just reading these things for like three hours, you know. Um, And but it does feel like there's some there's some overlap. And I'll I'll ask you, why? Why were you wondering about that? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Why was I wondering about that? I think. um earlier this year, we, we sort of accidentally, um, moved to Vermont for, for mm-hmm. six months. Yeah. Um, as the, uh, we were there in, in March and then just stayed and our apartment lease lapsed. you know, so we just wound up being people who lived in Vermont. Um, yeah. and that was a, really different experience for me because I didn't grow up in a place where I grew up in, um, I grew up in San Diego where there are seasons, but like not exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't grow up in a part of San Diego where we, I don't know, where I felt very in touch with the, with, with gardening or with the seasons of plants in any way. And then ever since then, I've lived in New York where It's easy to not notice things like that. And then I spent Mm -hmm. most of the year um, watching the, you know, watching the different flowers come up and then die and other flowers come up and then die and watching the apple trees come out and then, Mm -hmm. you know, drop their fruit Mm -hmm. and really watching plant cycles for the first time in my life in a daily way where I was just looking out the same window every day and where the land was visible to me. And mm-hmm. it was happening at the same time, sorry, this answer is long. Um, no. That was happening at the same time as like a year of immense confrontation with sorrow and different kinds mm-hmm. of grief and mm-hmm. a, a daily reminder of and and awareness of mortality. And in mm-hmm. m- in my mind, those two things felt really connected, being able to Mm -hmm. see seasonality and Mm -hmm. plants coming and going. And at the same, in the same year where I was thinking every day about who was going to (laughs) die and whether that was going to be me. And so, and feeling sorrow about that and feeling sorrow Mm when the, when the, the, um, the lilacs were gone. They were so, mm-hmm. they, ca- they came and went so fast, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that felt um, that felt really connected for me in my head this year. And so it was mm-hmm. something that I, I, it felt like the Book of Delights, which is about joy and delight at, framed by, in some ways, by death and a confrontation mm-hmm. with death. Um, like it did not feel like an accident to me that a gardener wrote that wrote in that yeah. way about the state. Yeah. I think that's why I wanted to ask you about it. Yeah, that's,
0: and that's, that's a beautiful, um, um, thank you for answering that. I feel like that, that's right. That's like the sort of the, there is something about studying or being in kind of relationship to, um, you know, these cycles that are happening that is about you know coming and going and change and that it is it's many things you know and i think sad you know when the when the lilac you know when you see the lilac starting to like those little, you know, lilac—they have like a zillion little kind of long tiny trumpet. buds, yeah. yes. And you start to see them wither, and you're like, "Oh shoot!" And there's still like four on a flower, and you get over there, you still because they're so strong, you get like a little the smell, and you're like, and then you see, and then they're all they're all sort of collapsed, and it's their time has passed, and for now, mm-hmm. um, and it it's right, it's a kind of it's a it's an engagement, sort of, I think, perpetually, with the understanding that things are passing, you know, things are moving on and changing. And I think it's also um, there's just so many things about the garden that feel related to this, which is you know, among them is that there's also this kind of um, um this tr- this teaching of like gratitude for when they are. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you know that the lilac, when you see like the last four little things on the lilac, you're like, oh my God, lilac, oh my God, lilac, you know, (laughs) or, and it's intense and it's like, you know, and that sort of attention that I think a kind of relationship to mortality, which I think it can probably have many, many, um, obviously it can, it can make us have many feelings, but one of the feelings I think is, is gratitude, you know, one of the feelings is gratitude, you know, that the, mm-hmm. that the lilac, that the lilac did that at all and that the lilac may do that again. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, like when you kind of settle into it because it doesn't have to be that, Yeah. you know, and it may not be that. It actually may not be that, you know, it's sort of like, ah, that's that's a that's a sort of practice or a study I'm interested in. You know, one thing that's nice about that um, being lost is that it makes me think, oh, yeah. And I, I'm thinking of Robin Wall Kimmerer's book that Braiding Sweetgrass and oh, yeah. among other things. But like, yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. What about that book?
0: Well, just the sort of relationship to the to the. Um, to the trees, you know, to the elders, to the, um, you know, gratitude, um, gratitude as a function of being with the earth, you know, and being of the earth. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that, um, that I think about, you know, that, that, that just made me think about.
1: One last question I had is whether or not it ever got easier to be with your mom's sadness?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, And I think it did in part because I recognized, you know, the, the, in part because I recognized what was happening, um, what felt so horrible. Um, No, actually, because I realized that it felt so horrible. And like, I didn't even, I don't even know that I had a kind of language or some kind of whatever you call it to be like this, you're having a horrible feeling that is not just like, you know, it's not just, (laughs) it's not just automatic. You're having a feeling. Um, and, um, so to sort of witness it, I think that what I'm saying is that to sort of see it as, as something that, um, that I could sort of engage or, you know, to use that kind of language to touch, to touch a little bit, um, identify the feeling and then be like, well, what's, what's what's going on with the feeling um or why is what's the feeling doing in a way you know because in a certain kind of way actually maybe this is a thing in a certain kind of way what the feeling was doing was trying to keep me from loving my mother Hmm. you know what the feeling was doing was trying to keep me alien from others and from others' sadness, including my own, so I was trying to, you know, alienate myself from my own sadness. That was what the, <laughs> that's what the feeling. I'm glad you asked that question, and I'm glad I couldn't quite answer the answer it until I stumbled around to this because I think that's actually the, the. What I think is really crucial about that is that sort of understanding. Oh, you will resist. I, me, Ross, will resist. And I don't think I'm alone <laughs> when I say that. I don't think I'm special. I will resist being um in this instance sad because my sadness makes me closer. You know, my sadness connects me in a way. And my sadness sort of, you know, in a certain kind of way, de-alienates me, you know. But my terrible feeling or my um fear or etc maintains, you know, it like sort of keeps me separate. I think, I think this is kind of the thing. And like, um, to be over, you know, I think over time sort of, sort of understanding, oh, there's like a, there's like a a utility and I don't mean a utility in a good way. I mean, a utility in sort of preserving, say the same kind of thing that might want that might, um, there's plenty of reasons to be distrustful. Um, I understand, but like, Dis, the kind of distrust that my therapist was talking about as a kind of um, as something to sort of contend with, or it's not—it's related to this other thing, you know, like the the desire to sort of remain separate, or the desire to remain like a sort of individuated whatever ego thing or whatever it is, which is another way of saying not to not to be with my mother, not to love my mother as as you know not to be sad with her. Just be sad with her, you know? And I've I kind of feel like um I it did get it did get easier. And part of the way I can kind of be like I can kind of identify that is it it my my chest didn't feel so bad. I didn't have these other thoughts, these other feelings that were kind of impeding my ability to sort of be like how are you feeling or or like if she was talking about feeling sad, not wanting to be like, yeah, but how about them eagles? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, part of what's kind of funny is that my mother, when she talks about this, she remembers me as being like very sort of capable of being with her, being with her sadness. And, um, and, and maybe on the outside I was, but on the inside, um, that's the story of that's a good like (laughs) that's a good good title of something on the outside i was (laughs) but on the inside i was just like really really suffering and partly i was suffering because i was so afraid of this sorrow and the sorrow over the you know over the over the weeks and months and years i think it did change and so that um I think it did change. I'll just I'll just say that, and I'll also say I think it did change also because I came to realize that part of what I was trying to avoid was also engaging with my own sorrow. I've said that already, but I I think to have that recognition of like being afraid of sorrow, period, sadness, period, and then to be like, oh, you if you can't engage your own sadness, not only will you be alien from other people. You'll be alien from, alien from your, from yourself. You'll be alien from other people who are going through this. You know, you won't, you won't be able to kind of connect on, or just listen, or just be with, or again, to say it again, like you won't be able to love.
1: Yeah. Those are high stakes. Yeah, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good ending. (laughs) Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar, Strauss, and Drew. I'm Jordan Kissner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jordan.kissner. We'll see you next week.